So this evening, I just uh, like to bring to mind the nature of chitta, one aspect of the chitta part is it's uh, it's resonant. It's uh, it's an energy form, subtle energy form. It has a subtle energy form. It trembles, shimmers, pulses, surges, uh, jumps. Uh, Mm-hmm. as you probably recognized yeah. when it jumps when it jumps it, it, it intends it jumps out to make something happen touch something, hear something get something, push something away so when it does this it's, that's its kind of volition chitana, volition, intention does this uh, and that's tiring and uh, disturbing just to have a jumpy jitter. <laughs> so much of what we practice is a calming. Um, but the calming isn't to, to just uh, stifle it, it's to restore something more subtly resonant and suffusive. Mm. Um, because it's within this domain, the textures, the weave of those energies, which can be quite complex and ricocheting and reacting, you know, emotional conflicts, you know, cross currents of different emotions and passions and fears and agitations and hopes and wondering what other people might want or do or say or think should be, could be, more or less you get this incredible kind of ricochet effect that jitter is just sometimes so flooded with that the thing kind of locks down, shuts down. I can't really, can't really keep processing any more of these surges. It's like, like, um, you know, somebody get lightning strikes of uh, electric and it blows the fuses too much surge so you sometimes with computers then you have surge breakers to stop too much charge going into the computer and unfortunately we don't have surge breakers on the chitta <laughs> so it surges it just rocks around and capsizes and, uh, and often reacts and it's all those reactions surge around and so on this is the aim then of the sense restraint <laughs> calming and uh, also in more positive sense generating generating resonances that are have a steadying effect we live in a resonant domain yeah so we live in a resonant domain what does that mean it means you allow you know if you live with some sense restraint and, and morality there's a possibility to be a bit more sensitive uh, because these qualities, morality, restraint, morality particularly is perhaps the initiating opening of chitta. Mm. It opens. And what causes it to open is faith, another resonant quality. It's not a piece of logic. It's something, oh, that touches me, I'm interested. Oh. Huh. It's not a belief, it's not a clamped on, I got this, this is absolutely true and right. And it's a sense of, aha, uh-huh, that's interesting. I'm touched, my chitta rises, it's touched. And it begins to rise, perhaps into qualities either of uh, conscience and concern and loving kindness. These are two aspects of the same thing. You know, morality is the it's a flip coin. Whichever you put on top, underneath it should have the other one. Your metta should have a sense of respect uh, for the welfare of others, concern for their being harmed, and concern for yourself being harmed. If you have a morality without metta is just law, law and order, and tends to be moralizing, lacking lacking compassion, lacking uh, resonance becomes hard, hard-edged. Unfortunately, this um, is sometimes our 
morality is framed thou shalt thou shalt not cast iron stone held by fear but uh, instead proper way to hold it is not fear but value not held by fear but by value because i see value in you i don't want to tarnish that because i see value creatures have innate value they're valued because they're alive they're sentient that's their value they are what they are therefore i don't desecrate them and this is the beginning of relational wholesomeness which we conclude all sentient creatures in that quality because they too sense fear death feel pain and, and sense of you know and they all we all belong on this embodied plane and belonging real belonging is his value otherwise you're just a visitor here if you have no value so this uh you see what i mean just flitting by in you know, a worthless world, a worthless being doesn't mean very much in you know, a world that doesn't mean very much anyway. And that's not that's not the kind of skillful belonging participation in a cosmos that's alive. And this is certainly the, the fundamental position of these early teachings. Cosmos was in those days, you was not just humans and animals. You got all all kinds of, you know, what we call supernatural beings, spirits, and, you know, beings without physical bodies. Why not? You know, we got emails. <laughs> so, and you think, well, it's all silly, silly, silly. You know, well, I don't know. You know, maybe they didn't have you know pointy ears and pixie hats but just just sensing that there's energies uh, that they, they explain in this way is energies energetic forms uh, can be benevolent or responsive and devas are they always respond well to morality and kindness and generosity and this is their oh yeah they they there's their food so the wholesomeness supports even this kind of supernatural and it's in the suttas it says if the devas are not you know human beings get wicked and depraved the devas get unhappy then the weather goes funny the weather goes funny you get rain you get drought you get you know you think ah crazy well look what happened <laughs> that's what we got <laughs> so just because you couldn't see it with some gadget doesn't mean it's there this is the arrogance of mechanistic science whereas buddhism is a science a different kind of science science of chitta science of the cosmos it's not mechanistic it's not device oriented it's sensitivities and you can do the scientific method which is if you run a few tests and you get consistent results okay it works that's then that's a that's a reasonable proposition and it's probably much more reasonable proposition to get the sense that the cosmos is 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 intelligent then it's all just dead lumps of rock flying around for no purpose <laughs> because that one doesn't work you know try to find out what's the ultimate building brick of the universe they can't find one because there isn't one there aren't any rocks it's just energy even the material universe is just the energy in, in different ranges and wavelengths some are extremely tight that we call matter some are extremely loose we call light it's all energies yeah. yeah our minds still hold rocks in them though we're still attuned to rockness you know we want to be something really solid uh, because the chitta hasn't known hasn't really dwelt in its own truth we've adopted models of external 
facts, external matter being stable, you know, positions, dogmas, nationalities, this is this, I am that, that's that, you know, fact, fact, fact kind of thing um, on all levels. We've tended to believe in the material world as the source of our happiness. You know, we tended to believe in philosophies and ideologies as the source of our security. And what's the result? Conflict, different hard edges, hard forces crashing into each other, nations clashing, people clashing, you know, the earth being crushed through these you know, non-resonant, non-sympathetic energies of delusion. Because the un uninstructed jitta has become deluded, doesn't know its own nature. And that which is the most proximate piece of the universe, your own jitta, has not been studied. We've studied moons of Pluto. We haven't studied our own jitta properly. This is the science of Buddhism to do this. And you find there's nothing solid there. It's all resonances and shifting thoughts and feelings, shimmering. And uh, this is not just an interesting curiosity, but it puts us in in touch with the right, right being rightly tuned, mm -hmm. rightly tuned in, and process of relationship. You're listening to the resonances, how they're affecting, what kind of energies move out from your jitta. When does it get shocked? When does it get sunk? When does it get clamped? And how can we relieve ourselves of this? And make no mistake, this is what the Eightfold Path was about. And how was that introduced? Buddha walked to Deer Park near Varanasi. His five former colleagues saw him. Uh, he's come back. Yeah. Dropped out of ascetic, you know, ascetic university and went soft on milk rice, you know, flunked out. I noticed he's strangely radiant. Ooh, what's that? He just kept walking towards them. And he felt himself so moved. And he just felt as he was getting up and making a place for him to sit and listening. Yeah. <laughs> the, the Buddha's presence touched them. Even though they're in their heads, they thought, ah, oh, him. Still, almost in spite of their opinions and views, they found themselves touched and moved. And what did he say? Listen, the deathless is found. The doors, the deathless are open. Bring forth your faith. The doors, the deathless are open. For those who can listen, bring forth your faith. Right? What's that do? How does that affect you? Hmm? you what am I supposed to do? How, where's this? I can't see any door. <laughs> where's this faith stuff? Am I going to get that and bring it out? No, no, no. It's the wrong system. This is, this is rationalism. This is not I do something. It's just let yourself be touched. And feel that lifting. Yeah. You don't do it from some kind of doing mind, you let it happen, let yourself be touched, moved by it. This is, you know, and also I can instruct you. If you follow this way, in no time, you'll realize the goal. This can be taught. 
avoiding the two extremes, the positioning for and against sensuality. Avoid that. Let's not get clamped onto the sense realm or start fighting it. Just armistice, you know? <laughs> Just leave it, step back and tune in to your chitta. Don't have some ideological position regarding, you know, the sense contact and so forth. Just tune into your chitta. Uh, and this is the tuned in path, samma. Samma, yeah, right, right view and so forth. It's a curious word because as soon as we say samma right, then immediately people get this feeling, oh, righteous, you know, right, wrong, dualistic. Uh, but actually the word samma means something like fulfilled or complete. And it may be, knowing the Buddha's use of language, that is subtly resonating with the word for tuned, you know, tuned in view, a view that's tuned in to the nature of the cosmos. And a speech is tuned in to what's harmonious. Relationships that are tuned in to what's my welfare, what's your welfare. Tuning in, well-tuned. Make your mind well-tuned. Yeah. Because that's the nature of it. It's a resonant experience. Jitta. Tuned in mindfulness. Yeah. You just, you know, I'm not saying this is this is <laughs> this is just playful, if you like, just being slightly poetic. But okay, how do you hold a tune? How do you hold a tune? Not like holding a rock, is it? You kind of, yeah. You know, if you're singing with a group in a choir, how do you hold the same tune? You listen, you listen, you feel your energies, your breath, your chest, your throat, sound. You're resonating, right? And that, and you sustain that. Because you know, you, you're listening to the tune. You're not drifting off on your own. You're listening. So you, you know. Could it be that you could meditate like that? Could it be that your mindfulness could be that kind of quality that keeps the theme in mind? and is constantly referring, resonating of it. Could that be the case? Is it worth checking it out? Scientific method, run a few, try a few times, not gonna kill you, see what happens. <laughs> it's, that's what we do, it's all, you know? <laughs> Feel your way, it's the way, there's no, this isn't a set of rules and laws. It's all, and that's beautiful. It's experimentation. It means you bring your initiative, your faith, your energy. And here, energy is not just some kind of grim slog. It means where your mind picks up and wants to go. It's inspired. And to me, isn't it more inspiring to sense I'm holding something that requires a a subtle balance. And if I get too tight, I drop it. If I get too loose, I drop it. If I don't listen steadily, I, I drift off. It's going to be testing me, but it, it seems a good test. Because if that the case, if I'm mindful of body, feeling, and I drift off, start thinking about them, thinking about them, you know, rather than actually holding them, then I've gone out of tune. It's like you're singing a song, and you're trying to remember whether you should be in C sharp or arpeggios, or with it, you know, no, it's not going to work, is it? <laughs> right? 
trying to figure out what it's supposed to mean on paper. I mean, those things are useful, but eventually you've got to get the sound established, listen to the sound, whatever else is doing, and tune in. Hold the tune. And what we actually are, mindful of itself, as you relate to it in a way, you begin to experience body as a resonant experience rather than a kind of lump of meat that clunks around, you know, and scratches and itches and, you know, and does things, which is what it kind of looks like. And we're sort of led to believe that's what it is. And maybe you could kind of buff it up a bit and preen it and it'll be sort of okay. <laughs> but we know what's going to happen to it. <laughs> that, you know, Right, that's the death, that's the dying one. Yeah, is it possible to actually hold direct body that which you you can tune into, which is a sense of radiances, energies, ripples of sensation, sometimes not very comfortable. And then within that, you might find a, something that's a very agreeable resonance, which is breathing in and out. Pulse, long, slow pulse, and uh, be with that. Tune into that so that you're getting feedback. In other words, your, your resonance is picking up the resonance of something else, and the two begin to bond, they entrain. Could that be what we mean by samadhi? Yeah. So that the, the is not running off somewhere else and wondering how to do it and how to get it right and how many breaths should I count before I get to this stage and is this going to give me insight or is this too much samatha or should I be focusing on my chest or is this you know, <laughs> you know? like uh, feel an out breath can you feel it no Maybe, you know, the way the kind of amount of shock and pressure that people can be living under and experiencing, maybe they can't. You know, it's the system is kind of clamped up. So then we thought, let's just practice uh, chanting. Chanting. I waste my time chanting. Well, what's for? <laughs> Because it, it's an embodied experience, it runs through your body, it comes through your throat, your throat vibrates, you hear the sound. You, if you're chanting with a group of people, you can tune into them. I mean, it's not, you know, it's not going to save the world. Maybe it would save the world if you all chanted together every day. Maybe it would drop our boundaries and our aggression and then we feel a bit of harmony. Uh, you know, you get the resonances, you feel the body resonates with the sound. It's different from talking. But notice also, you know, that um, just recollect that all the Buddha's teachings were verbal, not a single thing written down. Because once you've gone to transmission through written, however useful that is in long term, you've lost resonance. You've lost two people listening to each other. You've lost that interplay. You've transferred, you know, what occurs when meaning arises and, you, and the other person gets it and there's that feedback and that feeling of, oh yeah, right. Oh. You've lost that and you've just got, there are seven of these and eight of these and you should do this and you should do that and practice in that and da da and you say, look at this piece of paper. Paper doesn't care for you. It doesn't care whether you like it or not. It's not interesting what you feel about it. It's just a piece of paper with some squiggles on it. <laughs> and you think, oh, even like, I don't like the font on this one. The, you know, the <laughs> but you can imagine being in the presence of someone like the Buddha and him giving you the eye, looking at you, you know. 
and the kind of qualities that would come from that presence, uh, steady, cool, comprehension. And the Buddha says, I encompass people's minds with my mind. This jitta expands, moves out, takes the person in. And then the sound of the voice striking. Is it so? That's how it. That's how it happened. They said, you know, you don't want to write these things down because it's it's not respectful. You know, there was writing in the time of the Buddha, but they didn't write teachings down because it's a bit like that's for business and that's for kind of you know shopping lists. You don't give religious teachings on paper or parchment. You talk them because they're going to go through the human body, and you feel the resonance of it. Um, this is not a one-off. I remember when I was last time I was in South Africa, a woman telling me that when the Dalai Lama was there and there uh, some young men, you know, young men are pretty, you know, like young men, you know, you met a few, <laughs> oh, sort of, yeah, I'm cool and I'm hip, you know, so <laughs> together. <laughs> and they'd done some stuff, some good stuff. They'd done some good stuff, a little bit sort of, you know, where young guys are and they had to all you know go and meet the Dalai Lama because he was presiding over something and then we said every one of them when they met him they started tears just to be looked at and seen with that kind of held said they all came out like soft and open-eyed and many of them weeping What's that? That's when the resonance goes to the heart and you find yourself moved beyond reason, beyond your identity, beyond your hard shells, beyond your calculations, beyond your need to be right or wrong or better than the others or compete or get it figured out. Get beyond that, all that stuff causes hard edges resonate opens this is kind of why why a lot of things really why we chant but even you know perhaps take it a stage further um, the suttas, I think it was a bit of Ananda, one of the Buddha's main disciples. He said the, the Tathagata, the Buddha, teaches 11 doors to the deathless, not just one, 11 doors to the deathless. And what are these? He says there are the four Brahma Viharas, the Appamano states, Metta Kurunamudita Upeka, these are doors to the deathless. There are the four jhanas. There's the doors, the deathless. And there are three of the four immaterial spheres that you can move to or your mind can open to in fourth jhana. The fourth one is just too subtle. So these are doors. And you might say, they're not the deathless, but they're doors to it. And basically the deal is, you know, when you get to the door, (laughs) right, then it's the wisdom aspect that sees into the nature of where where your jitta's at at that time and sees this is just conditions, forces, energies, you know, they're impermanent, they're not self, and releases. There's a release from that, the jitta just, then you're through the door, or something's through the door, or the door disappears. I mean, I'm sure the metaphors are difficult, but this is beyond death, beyond that immense catastrophe that we imagine when the hard stuff cracks up, when the certainties go, when the walls, this, you know, the sense spheres break down, when the rational thinking mind is no longer rational, when time and place and the future no longer exist, the things that have held us 
uh, and held us in a rather uncomfortable grip. But we were in it because we wanted to be held. Yeah. So we took we took that, and then it cracks up, and then what happens? The jitters just woo, disoriented, panic. Uh, you know, get some more. <laughs> it's called rebirth. <laughs> get another bunch of the same stuff because it hasn't hasn't known itself. It hasn't dwelt inwardly in itself. And these jhanas and brahma-viharas are there to cause the jitta to turn back into its radiant, suffusive nature, which is not the world of hard edges. The world of hard edges disappears in these, in these modalities of mind. The world of time and place is irrelevant in these modalities of mind. The world of fixed views and opinions is just just dross in this these modalities of mind because of something finer. And what do these two have in common? What what is their similarity? You may not know. You may not have experienced this very much, but you must, the Buddha says, if you've experienced fully the quality of loving kindness for the duration of one finger snap, then you've, you've touched into jhana, the essence of it. Two finger snaps is even better. <laughs> Generally, you can make three before things start to go strange. <laughs> Can you do that? Can you, you know, get two or three finger snaps worth of metric? I'm sure you can, not beyond. But rather than just, oh, he's a nice guy, or I owe it to so and so, or I should be nice, you know, like, I do it. You know, a lump me does it to another lump you because of, I should do as another kind of lumpy strategy isn't it one is touched with the vulnerability of beings with a sense of one is touched by the sensitivity of beings by the value of beings therefore one's heart opens almost like a reflex why should it not if i'm not stuck on their appearance if i'm not stuck on what i want to make out of them if i'm not frightened of them if I'm not carrying grudges, if I'm not comparing myself as to who's better, why should it not open? Why should there not be that sense of, oh, sentient being, just like me? It's a reflex, the same thing that the disciples experienced when they saw the Buddha, the radiant mind, the resonant mind. As we see at this time, you know, how how important it is for people. Once you can't make contact with people, when you can't go and mingle and merge and look at each other and vibe, just how challenging it is to be that clamped, shut in, locked down. And of course, you know, it's quite easy to get to perhaps regret and recognize that occasions we do lock down when we don't need to. We lock down with fear. We lock down with judgment. We lock down with, he did this to me yesterday and I'm hanging on to that. And lock down with, I don't like the way you do this. Lock, lock. And you are one of those and I'm one of these. I'm a, this, this is my politics, it's your politics, bonk, you know, hard edges. This is my belief, that's your belief, hard edges, called clinging. This is lockdown. This is the psychological lockdown that people induct themselves into. With a feeling it will make me secure because we tend to take lock as, well, it's nice and firm. I know where I am with a lock. 
Yeah. And so we don't realize you don't need to lock to feel secure. You need to learn how to fly, float, ride. That's much more, doesn't crack. And then the the lockdown, the clung state and the the inability to allow feeling perceptions to be sensed does cause people to crack up. And then it said, uh, you know, phrase in the suttas is the chitta cracks. Crack your chitta means you go crazy. That's that's what we're referring to. So if we contemplate and just get in touch with the free gift of goodwill, to, to also just to receive it, you know, to be loved, to be seen in a benevolent way and to let, allow yourself to be seen without being embarrassed or feel you've got to pay something back or be good enough or what does he think of me? Da, 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 da. Just let it happen. Yeah. And then now, Dhamma practice, you know, make these strong, strong determinations to not abuse, not manipulate. It's so that these, some of these tendencies to lock in defense and in grasping can be firmly put aside. So there can be that resonance of goodwill and compassion. You pick that up when you get a feeling for that. It's much more likely that your own or the, the difficulties that arise in your own mind, you'll be able to perceive them in that, in, that, in that room, in the metta room. It's called a vihara. Vihara means an abiding place. And karuna, compassion, is an abiding place. Could you, you know, welcome your, your craziness into the compassion room? <laughs> Could you welcome all your faults and weaknesses into the room of compassion? And sit right there, just sit there, just you, you know, be with you in a minute, just sit down and just soak up the vibes. And uh, we'll deal with who is right and wrong later, and we'll deal with the trial and the tribunals and the punishment later, but just sit there for the moment and soak up the compassion. And after a while, there's no courtroom. There's no trial. <laughs> you're not in a closed, you're not in that kind of situation. And this really enjoying and treasuring that, that, that capacity that we all have. Essentially, this is what you know. You see this word, which is not a common <laughs> concept in uh, rational material society. Suffuse, pervade, pervade the all-encompassing world. The heart of loving kindness it means all the stuff that's around you, all that you're involved with. So try to. I mean, you know, make some attempts to not go into the grudge and resistance. Let it respect be here it is, compassion. So the heart is not cramped, free from cramping, uplifted. Yeah. And clearly, you know, it's, it's not always so easy. You know, you just... But I say, well, you can at least try the, you know, try to see if you can get the equanimity room open. (laughs) People are just stubborn, ornery, cantankerous. Could you at least maintain a sense of, well, that's, I guess that's what that jitter is doing. For sure, it's not easy. But then perhaps one should give attention to where these qualities can be fostered. So at least you're not infected. 
in the virus of rancor, bitterness. Jhana. permeates term with jhana very similar expression saturates experiences a sense of uplift the energy starts to become steady and smooth uplifted bright one feels at ease with that and then this is the, this is the jhana pervasion so it says there's not one part of one's body it isn't saturated, drenched, permeated with the pleasure and happiness born of this practice. Disengagement from the sense world, entering the world of citta, using breathing to ascend energies through the entire form. All the four jhanas are embodied. You know, always body metaphors are used. You know, and the last one, the fourth one, is as if a smooth white sheet is over the body is pure smooth featureless radiance soft very refined mm. but we start humbly mm. and uh, we start by entering the right way and see what's within the range it's like you pick up the song. See what's within the range. And, uh, but you have to tune in to something that has resonance in it. And for too long, we've taken these bodies to be dumb lumps of matter. And we've just opted into the physicality of it and mechanisms of it and deprived it of its intelligence or dumbed its intelligence down. We tend to become automatons trained to be operate like machines in that jerk, jump time manner. And then end of the day, switch it off, bump, dump it down in a bed and go get an alarm clock next week. Alarm clock goes off, fling it out, throw some coffee down it get it out the door, <laughs> you know, <laughs> you might do that with a car. <laughs> and then then you can just slap it around a bit if it starts to <laughs> give you problems or dose it with something or the other, you know, throw some pills down it or dose it with something. And it kind of works, you know, in, I don't think people do it at all, but this is a pretty sad state of affairs. Um, uh, when, uh, you know, there's this possibility of something more luminous and radiant that heals the energies of the, of the body. And this is not just, a, you know, like a spa, but this is crucial because it's based upon those tight, contracted, numb energies that the emotions start rising up. You know, if you're in a, if you're in a in tight state, you're going to be pretty irritable. If you're in a contracted state, you're going to get pretty depressed. Um, you know, if your body's open, feels comfortable, you're going to feel joyful with no particular reason. Mm. The Buddha's giving, I mean, I must have said this <laughs> probably several times, you know, the sequence in which uh, the Buddha describes, say, you know, when you have recollecting virtue then freed as freedom from this cramping regret you know which causes one to sort of stumble and freedom of regret your heart feels gladdened when there's gladness in the heart yeah your body starts to feel a bit more relaxed is relaxed you start to feel mind starts to feel happy and when it says the happy mind is samadhied it is collected it gathers into its own happiness and sits there. Yeah. This is samadhi. And then from this, then you can see clearly. You can see how things have become the way they are. You see, oh, that leads to that. 
And it's no judgment, it's no criticism, just that. When there's clinging, there's that. When there's craving, there's clinging. Yeah. When there's attachment, there's that, there's that. There's no personal issue around this. This is just the system. Yeah. And with the, you don't crave, the clinging falls away. Clinging falls away, the sense of being an encased human being drops away. The sense of being an encased human being stuck inside a body in a piece of geography, that falls away. Then the chit is not bowed down with aging, sickness and death. You know, I mean, this materiality certainly comes to a, uh, it wears out. Does the jitta have to go with that? Yeah. And the Buddha is saying, no, it doesn't have to. And what was he doing in his last days? The Buddha, 80 years old, stumbling, well, stumbling around, but making his way very painfully. Yeah, in some extremely sapping illness, intestinal illness, uh, creeping along slowly, broken down. He said, my body's just like an old, broken down old cart, just about stuck together with leather thongs holding it together. You know, but kept going for the welfare of others. And then he thought, I have taught, I have completed. Time to put it to rest. Lies down under the tree. Any questions? Last moments when he could be have a reason, rational mind, ask for questions. I mean, the man just didn't hold back. You can't, you can't get better than that, can you? <laughs> So he's going out with that. He's tuned into that in his deathbed. I mean, no, not me. Oh, no, no, no. He's tuned into that because he's learned. That's where, that's where he lives. And then he says, then he goes out and he says, Where's, what's happening? And this one is Arahants who can tune into other people's stuff. Says, oh, he's now entering first jhana, second jhana, third jhana, fourth jhana, da 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 da, da. And he's coming back again, fourth jhana. There he goes. Yeah. Is that it? Slipped out. He's let it. He's let it go. But the idea is sitting there doing jhana like some intense yogi, kind of cramping over, focusing on the end of his. No, no. He's lying down, the sick on the deathbed. So, <laughs> this is not about getting rigid and hard. This is about entering a resonant experience. He's done so many times. His jitter now does it by reflex. He knows where to go go into the resonances, relinquish the attachment, and then you go out, you go out free. So this is not just a kind of dumbing down to get concentrated idea. This is tuning in to some fundamental wavelengths, fundamental nature of, of reality. Reality is energetic, it's vibrant, and we can sense that. See where you pick it up. You pick it up in a sound, in chanting, in loving kindness. Even in the moment when you, you get something, your mind goes, oh, oh shimmer. Now the process of meditation is to turn to those to that quality, that shimmering, that resonance, that tune, that tune. Touch it again and listen. Touch it light. Don't hold, don't push it too hard. Because you'll 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 put your thumbprint on it. Just touch it lightly and listen. Touch it lightly and listen. You get it. Listen with your chitta, listen with your faith, your openness. Doors of the deathless are open for those who can listen, bring forth your faith. Not your planning mind, not your histories. Tune in, tune in, pick up that. And this is going to, then the mind will start to reverberate in that. You build up a kind of like a feedback loop of resonance, which becomes warm, steady, 
and it's placing for you to can settle in. And this is the basis for insight, you know, for deliverance. Because when the jitta is then properly presented in its in its open nature, then its wisdom faculty, its clarity, is no longer being encumbered with clunky stuff going on, you know, and shrouds and defense strategies and grasping as this stuff out of the way. You know, oh look, that's that. And through this web, there's the space. And this web of energy, this is, which is now cool and open, there's, there's the space. Ah, you know, and moving, mind moving through that. Now, you know, practice, our practice is often dealing with these lumps, isn't it? These clunky bits of regret and, and you know, tangled bits and tight bits. But once you've begun to get a sense of what reality is, then you realize that you can't relate to this like slug it, push it out of the way, slap some of that on it. You've got to start vibing it, resonating with it. What's, what's needed here? What's needed? What's the room? What's the abode to place this piece of hurt feeling, this piece of compacted fear, this piece of self-criticism? This sense of regret, this worry, where do I put it? What do I, how do I resonate through that? So that formations of the mind can begin to soften and yield. You know, just like, you know, if you have a thorn in your foot, most likely you probably put in warm water, soften the tissues, then the thorn will drop out. You know, so this is our, you know, <laughs> a process of softening so that some of these pieces of grit and pieces of glass and shards that have been there for a decade can start to either drop out or you can easily prize them out but if the mind is still too tight every time you go in it tightens up some more so you've got to get that sense of what will soften loosen open up so that the possibility to to release this uh, stuck stuff. <laughs> oh well, so. Mm. Practice wisely, tune in. And uh, uh, find, you know, realize the true nature, uh, and the false stuff will fall away. So, offer this view of reflection this evening.